Good morning. What a joy it is to be together as we worship the Lord this morning and we wait with anticipation for Christmas to arrive. I uh, just want to make a note to you that um, uh, before you come out and preach, you kind of stand back here in the, the ramp area and you can't really see anything on the screens when you stand back there. So second service, I'm standing back there and I'm listening to Paul do the hallelujah song during the offering. Powerful song. And and somebody told me they had fantastic visuals, which I didn't get a chance to see. So I sat back there in this service and watched that being played. And that's an awesome, wow, what an awesome song. And Paul did a great job with that. We're really blessed with his ministry. And so I also want to say that because of that, all things are forgiven for his weird syncopation thing that he was doing with angels we have heard on high. Did you notice that? I think it's his and the worship band's joke on us. Like, you know, we know what the song is. And then, oh, wait, you're going to wait three beats until the last word on the... Verse. Did you notice that? I did. Doug and I looked like fools in the second service. We're up singing out there. So he's forgiven because that was a good song he did there. Well, Christmas is only four days away. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Four days. And I don't know about you, but maybe you're feeling some anticipation and some excitement. I know when I was a, a, a small child, especially, like, I'd get so excited when Christmas was close. And I was so excited I could hardly contain myself. In fact, there were times I couldn't contain myself. And, you know, like I would pick on the dog because I just had to do something. Or I'd pester my sister, you know. And some of you right now, young kids, are nodding your head at me like, yes, I get that. That's my experience right now. And it was for me, it was all about the presents that were underneath the tree that I was excited about. But now, you know, it's not the presents so much. It's, it's time with family. It's those relationships that you value so much that you get excited or you anticipate. Uh, when I mentioned four days till Christmas, for some of you, that probably created a little bit of panic in your life at this moment. Maybe some husbands who haven't bought your wife your gift yet. You know, hey, guys, time to get, get on that, get something done. Uh, maybe also you haven't bought, you know, maybe some of you haven't bought the food yet, and you're like, oh, we got to go, go get the food for all the family that's coming over. Maybe your house isn't clean and put together. You're feeling that stress. Maybe your Christmas cards aren't out yet, and so you're feeling a little bit of panic. You know, Christmas can be a little bit stressful sometimes, can it, with all the stuff that's involved. And right now you're thanking me for reminding you of all those things that you haven't done yet as we anticipate Christmas. Now, for some, Christmas creates excitement. Uh, For some, maybe a little bit of panic. But for many, Christmas can be a really hard time, Uh, a real challenging time for a lot of folks. I heard someone this week talk about how Christmas is an amplifier of what's going on in life. You know, if life is great, if your relationships are in a really, really good place, if your life's in a groove, then Christmas just accentuates all of that, and it's a great experience. But if you're in the midst of some significant challenges in life, if there's some brokenness, if there's difficulty, isolation, uh, if there's a significant loss then Christmas amplifies that as well. We can all admit that at times life can be really hard. For some of you, that's your experience right now. And in some ways it feels like Christmas just makes it a little bit worse rather than making it better. I just want to ask you today, what did you come here looking for? What is it you're hoping that I would answer for you this morning? Better yet, what do you want from God today? That's a pretty bold question. What do you want from God today? What are you seeking from God today? 
There are plenty of seekers who came to Jesus when Jesus was ministering on earth. And he would oftentimes ask them some very interesting questions when they would come seeking things from him. He'd ask them things like, what are you looking for? Why are you here? In Mark chapter 10, he asks a blind man, what do you want me to do for you? I want you to consider today, what is it that you're facing that's a significant challenge in your life? Let me ask it this way. What is it that's in your life right now that that causes you to go on long walks by yourself? What is it that causes you maybe in the morning when you're taking your shower to get a little teary-eyed? What is it that causes you when you're driving to work to cry? What is it, guys, this is a question for you, what is it when you're in the house and you're in a room with people in it and whatever this thing is, it causes you to get up, kind of quietly slip out of that room and go to the basement or the garage because maybe you're angry or you're mad and you don't want to let anybody see you're going to lose it. Or maybe you're sad or you're struggling and you just don't want anybody to know that you can't handle it. What are those things that came to your mind when I asked those questions? I want you to write down in your worship guide. Take it out right now. Just open it up. Write down the inside of it. What is it that brought, came to your mind from God in that moment when I was asking you those questions? I want to challenge you to let that be the thing that you seek Christ for today. We're in the midst of a message series during Advent. It's uh, Christmas makes everything new. And Christ came to make all things new. My hope is that today that Christ demonstrates his love and his presence to you in a way that your hope would be renewed that Christ really can make all things new. Listen to what God said through the prophet Isaiah, promising of a Savior that would come and make things new. Isaiah 43:19. God says, See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. May Christ make a new way for you, especially if you're someone who feels like you're in the wilderness a bit today. Pastor Doug's already shared a couple of messages leading up to this point that that because of Christ, we have a, a new beginning with God, that through the gift of Christ's life and his sacrifice, that we can experience redemption. We can have a redeemed life, a redeemed relationship with God. And last week we were reminded about that Christ came to replace our fears and to give us a peace that comes only from God that transcends all understanding, all of our knowledge. It's a peace that only God can give to us. Christ came to make all things new. Today I'm going to share with you about the consolation of Christ. In the passage from Luke that we just heard, we meet a man named Simeon who was seeking God, and he was desperate to see God do something in his lifetime. What was he longing for from God? Look again at Luke 2, verse 25. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. What is the consolation of Israel? What do you think of when you hear the word consolation? The first thing that came to my mind is actually when I played basketball in high school. Uh, I played at Salina South High School, and when I played ball here in Salina, our, Salina South was a pretty good basketball team. Uh, we, would, we made state two years in a row, my sophomore and my junior seasons. Um, you know, it was always a challenge, though, because we played in 6A, the largest classification in athletics in high school in Kansas, and we were always the smallest 6A school. And so when we made it to state, while we were a good team, we'd be playing the largest schools in the state, schools from Wichita and Kansas City, and, and uh, those were tough games. It's kind of like David going up against Goliath. Uh, 
And I can remember my sophomore season, we played in the first round, the eventual state champion. We lost to them in the first round, a team from Wichita. They had a guy named Greg Dryling, who was, I don't know if you remember him, he was like 7-1. He went on and played at University of Kansas, and then he actually had a very successful NBA career for a number of years. Fantastic player. We, we could not match up against them, and, and they beat us. And then my junior year, uh, we, were, we, we were playing a team in the first round that we were not expected to win, and, and we beat them. It was an upset. And so we made the semifinal game. We were playing the number one team in the state, and nobody gave us any chance to win that game. And it was a close game. It was really very close the whole game. In fact, the very final possession, we had the ball. We had a chance to make a basket, to tie the game, to send it in overtime, and we, we missed the shot. We lost our chance to go to the finals in the state, and we were devastated. We were heartbroken. We put everything out on the, on the floor, and we were just, it was, that was just it. We, we were drained. And then, you know, we found out, you know, that's not the end. The basketball season wasn't over because when you lose the semifinal game, you get to play in the consolation game. You get to play for third place. Yeah, that's awesome. Not so much. You know, I mean, the state championship game, it was like, I think it was at Coke Arena. We ended up having to play in a high school. And, you know, instead of a th- in front of a thousand, thousands of fans, like it was all of our parents and our brothers and sisters because nobody else wanted to come to the game, right? I mean, none of the students showed up. They were too depressed. I was depressed. I didn't even want to play in the game either. And so we had the consolation game. So that's what comes to my mind when I think of consolation. And literally the consolation of Christ has nothing to do with that. It is so far removed from what that experience is other than the idea that we were devastated. And literally, Christ understands that, that many times in our life, we're devastated. There are situations that really, really are very hard that we experience in life. Uh, one of the things to just uh, share with you, uh, in terms of understanding the consolation of Israel, the consolation of Christ is nothing like that game. But the consolation of Christ is Christ recognizing our human brokenness, recognizing our deepest losses, and being willing to take on our flesh and meet us at those places of desperation. Jesus took on our flesh so that we might be able to relate to him in a personal way. Think about why Jesus came to us. Why did he take on our flesh? Who do you relate best with when you're going through a difficult circumstance? You've lost your job and, and you're experiencing the pain and the heartache that goes with losing a job and the panic that comes and, and you even are identifying with understanding you're losing a little bit of your identity that goes with that job and you've lost a lot. And so who would be the person that you would want to talk to in that circumstance? Well, it would be somebody who's gone through the same thing, right? You wouldn't want to talk to somebody that never had experienced losing a job before. You know, so somebody came up to you and said, oh, I'm so sorry. I heard you lost your job. I've never lost a job, but, you know, I'm sure it must be difficult. I'm really feeling for you. Well, you know, in some ways you're like, well, thank you, but you don't really get it, so that's not so helpful for me. No, we would want to meet with somebody who we could draw comfort from, somebody who could identify with our circumstances. God allows us, each of us, to go through all kinds of circumstances in life, sometimes very difficult ones, very painful ones. But the reason is Jesus came so that in the midst of our circumstances, we can approach God in confidence that he understands us. Certainly, he's God. He didn't have to do it that way, but he did it for our benefit so that we can relate to him. So if you're lonely, if you're discouraged, 
if you know what it's like to be betrayed, if you know what it's like to be exhausted and at the end of your rope, Jesus has been there too. And he can identify with us. And we can identify with him. Isaiah describes the Messiah, what the Messiah will be like, and it's nothing like what the world would expect. He didn't come as a worldly king. He didn't come as a military leader who was going to conquer armies and other lands. He didn't even come as a religious leader. Now listen to the ways that Isaiah describes the one who would come and who would console us. In Isaiah 53, verse 2, again, Isaiah tells us basically his appearance was quite ordinary. In fact, instead of coming as someone who was extraordinary, he's described as being someone who's rather average in appearance. He's just like any other ordinary man. He came as a common man, so anyone could relate to him. And then in verse 3, we're reminded that, that he understands pain and suffering. He experiences pain and suffering. Have you experienced great pain and great suffering in your life? If you have, you understand that Christ understands pain and suffering. He can truly empathize with someone who suffers. He came in the flesh so that he can identify with us and we could relate to him in a personal way. Simeon, again, in this Luke passage from Luke, Simeon, we're told, is someone who's looking for the consolation of Israel, the consolation of every person. Jesus came to be our consolation. So what do we understand the consolation of Christ to be? Well, I'm going to share with you a few things that really kind of make up what this phrase is all about. The first thing is that Christ came to comfort us. Isaiah promised that the Messiah would be one who would bring comfort to a broken and a hurting world. If you look at Isaiah 40, verse 1, uh, this is what God says. He says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. This phrase, comfort, comfort my people, uh, it's given to the Israelites in a time and period which the Babylonians have come and they have defeated the Israelites in in battle and they they literally have destroyed Jerusalem. They've torn down the walls, they've torn down the temple, they've taken many of the children away from the families, they've taken them back as hostages back to uh, Babylon. The families are separated uh, they're trying to re- recover. It's just a, play, a time and an experience of complete and utter brokenness for Israel. And God says, this is my word to you. Comfort. Comfort. I'm going to come and bring you and offer you comfort. So this word was given to the Israelites in that time period. But also it's a word that was spoken of Messiah who would come many, many years later. This would be the message that God would bring through the Messiah as well. I'm going to bring you a Messiah who's going to offer you my comfort who's going to come and be the comfort for my people, for all of creation. Think about the context of the time and place that Jesus enters the world. His people do not rule their own land. The the oppression of the Roman Empire is over all the people. And think about the heartbreak that comes just a couple of years after Jesus is born in that area of Bethlehem. Remember, King Herod gave orders to the soldiers to go and to kill every young male child in that area. And Jesus and his family, uh, they escape, they run off, and they live as foreigners, as aliens in a foreign land. And certainly Jesus and his family understood fear and hardship. Christ came not only that you and I would know how much God cares for us, but that he is not distant. And he enters into our struggles. He identifies fully with us. Jesus makes God incredibly personal. And if this season is a time of difficulty for you, 
with some struggle or some sadness or challenges, then, then according to this, Jesus identifies with us in our weaknesses. And he's come to offer us the comfort of his presence. Jessica Hostin grew up in this church, and some of you know her. Her parents are Rick and Christy Watson. And Jessica and her husband uh, live down in Texas now. And the Watson family had a really tough Christmas last year, and, and some of you know that. And she shared her story down in her church in Texas that they attend earlier this month. And, and then she was gracious enough to share that with us, with Doug and I, by video. And, and I think you're going to be blessed to hear her story this morning. So I want to encourage you to watch this video and this testimony of Jessica this morning. Merry Christmas. I'm Jessica Hostin. I have always loved Christmas time. I'm that person that starts the Christmas music the day after Halloween. When I think back as a kid to Christmases growing up, I just have a feeling of joy. Unfortunately, last year on Christmas morning, my dad went to heaven. Thankfully, my family had just celebrated the weekend before. None of us would have ever guessed that dad only had a few days left to live. I wanted to share my story because I don't know how you would survive the loss of a loved one without having the hope of seeing seeing them again in heaven. My dad was the rock and fun guy of my family. For a long time he had the ringtone of, I'm here for the party. I like to imagine that as he entered the gates of heaven, that was playing. My dad would do anything for us. So over the course of the last year, I've had to learn to transfer my trust from my earthly father to my heavenly father. A family friend sent me a note after my dad passed away that says, My dear Jessica, I don't know of a father that loved his little girl more than your dad did of you. That can never be taken from you. It was short and sweet, but it means the world to me. The great thing is, is that God loves each of us just like that. We just have to accept it and spend time with him to enjoy it. I hope that you will open your heart to the love of God this Christmas. God bless. Well, we're very thankful to Jessica for her testimony and for the Watson family. We'll be willing to share that with you and be vulnerable and also express how God has brought comfort to her and to her family. Jesus took on our flesh to bring comfort. Think of the way Christ treated people when he was here on earth. Uh, He served the brokenhearted, the ostracized, the sick, and the lepers. Listen to the promise that he makes in the Sermon on the Mount. It comes from Matthew chapter 5. He says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The consolation of the Lord addresses both our past but also our future. He came to comfort us in the midst of our painful experiences, but he also wants us to know that we have a hopeful future in him. Our hope is secure in him. Listen to what God says through Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. He says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. He offers us comfort. Christ also came to restore us, to restore us from our past losses. The losses we experience in this lifetime can be painful at a minimum and, and sometimes can feel completely devastating, leaving us wondering if we're ever going to fully recover or is life ever going to return to normal. Things like the loss of a significant relationship, the breakup of a family, the death of a loved one, and, and many others. 
Jesus came to offer us restoration from what we've lost. Listen to what he says when he begins his ministry in Galilee. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I want to share with you just a a bit of a story from my family's own painful history. My dad grew up in a difficult family environment. Uh, Most of the problems stem from my grandmother's painful past. Uh, She'd been married to another man before she married my grandfather, and she and her first husband had a a son together, my dad's half-brother. But something wasn't working right in their relationship, and they ended up getting a divorce. And her ex-husband left town, and, and he was never heard from or seen ever again, even by his own son. We never really knew the details of that situation, not even my dad, who grew up in this family. Uh, there, wasn't, there was so much pain that no one ever talked about it in the family. All I know is that as a child, I grew up knowing my grandmother as a very bitter and hateful person her whole life. She, had, she was no fun to be around. In fact, my sister and I dreaded going to see my grandparents, really my grandmother, Uh, I heard curse words as a child that would come from my grandmother's lips that no child usually hears until they're in high school or they're in college. Uh, She was not a nice person to be around. And I wondered at times how my dad grew up to be a kind, gentle, and loving father knowing the mother that he came from. Yet we would faithfully go visit my grandparents frequently until they both passed away. My grandmother never changed. She remained bitter until the end of her life. Then 20 years after her death, something quite remarkable happened in our family. Uh, We found out the whole story of this initial marriage breakup. Uh, You know how people will track down their family history, their family tree. Well, this man that had been married to my grandmother, he ended up marrying somebody else and and had kids, and and they had kids. So these grandkids were trying to find the family connection, and they found our family, and they ended up telling us the rest of the story. They filled in the blanks for us. Uh, What we found out was... While this man was still married to my grandmother, um, who he had promised to love faithfully and unconditionally, uh, he ended up having an affair with another woman. And she was married to another man as well. And what we don't know, but we found out, is that uh, he ended up killing her husband. Uh, We don't know if it was a premeditated murder or if it was uh, a situation where the husband found out about it and there was a fight and, uh, and he was killed in the fight. We don't know. But what happened was after this man was killed, that that night, literally, uh, this ex-husband of my grandmother and the woman that he was with, they ended up leaving town in the middle of night, not telling anybody. Uh, he didn't even tell my grandmother, didn't say goodbye, didn't say anything about what his plans were. He just left town. And not only did he leave town, they left the country, they moved to Canada. He changed his name so literally nobody could find him moving forward. And so when we found that story out, it gave us a little bit more of a context for which my My grandmother's bitterness came out of. I mean, think about this. The one who vowed to love you unconditionally betrayed her and abandoned her and her son. So we understood a little bit more. And I think it was interesting for me, or remarkable actually, to understand that my dad really changed the course of the path and the legacy of of our family. So often in these kinds of situations, it's a family dysfunctional cycle takes place, and the next generation repeats what is 
true of the older generation. And yet my dad made the decision he was going to choose a different path. And he gives testimony today to say that literally his relationship with Christ was the thing that really encouraged him and gave him the strength to, to go a different direction. And many of you could share some kind of similar story. There is enough heartache that I know of that people experience, whether it's their family or other kinds of situations. And you could share also how Christ has helped you experience restoration in him and how he's given you the strength and the courage to forge another path out of a path of pain and brokenness. Christ came to restore us from our past losses and to make all things new. There's also a future aspect to this work of restoration. Not only does Christ restore us from the past losses, but Christ frees us to live fully into what he created us to be. The pain and the loss we experience from our past can really be hard to move on from. It's often the thing that imprisons us to live in unhealthy ways out of that pain and that despair and out of shame. But Christ came to set us free from the chains of our past, and he also set us free to live into a new way of life in and through him, a life that he created us to experience through him. I love what the Apostle Paul says about this new thing that Christ does in and through us. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, this is what Paul writes. He says, in Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. In Philippians 3:13 and 14, he says it in a different way, but a similar thing. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, I want want you to think about who wrote these words. This is the Apostle Paul. Think about the guilt and the shame that was probably on Paul's life. He persecuted Christians. Not only that, we're told in the Scriptures that he actually participated in the murder of the first Christian martyr of Stephen. Think about the guilt and the shame that he must have felt at times. And yet he's able to write, hey, look, in Christ, in Christ, I have a whole new creation. I'm a whole new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. He says, in Christ, I forget what's behind and I focus on what's in front of me, Christ, and the goal of being with him for all of eternity. That's what he encourages us to do, to forget our past and to keep our eyes actively on Christ and on the goal of eternity with him. So Christ comes, he comes, and he came, and he came to comfort us and to restore us. He also came to heal our hurts and our brokenness. Christ is our healer. He's the consolation of God as we look back on all sin and hate and anger and guilt and shame and doubt and failure and brokenness and whatever else you want to put in the blank. Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah 49:13. Listen to this passage. It says, Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has consoled his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. Listen to what Jesus' invitation to all that carry the heavy burden of hurts and brokenness. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Then finally, there's also a future aspect to Christ's healing, our brokenness. 
Christ also seals our future place in God's kingdom with Him. Again, from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. He goes on in this famous Sermon on the Mount, he says, Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those that are meek. Blessed are those who, are, who hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Basically he's saying, my, Blessed are my brothers and sisters who know sorrow, because I am a man of sorrows. I know pain. I know suffering. I took on flesh. I took on your pain and suffering so that you might know how much the Father cares for you. I give you my presence, my Holy Spirit, my comforter, so that you may know that you will never walk alone. When we give our life to Christ, God places literally the deposit of his presence in us, in his spirit. And we have the presence with Christ with us at all times. The Holy Spirit is comforting us. He's restoring us from our losses, and he's healing us from our broken places. That is the consolation of Christ that Simeon so desperately was longing for, waiting for God, and he was able to meet him in the person of Jesus. He saw him, God in flesh, the consolation of the world. He held baby Jesus in his own arms, and he offered a blessing and a prayer. And I would invite you to grab a hold of Jesus today, especially if you're in a dark or a difficult place, if your life is a struggle right now. You see, Christ understands pain, and suffering. He took on our flesh so that we might be consoled by Him. Christ is making all things new. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give You praise and glory. We thank You uh, as we prepare to celebrate Christmas in anticipation. We give You praise and glory and thanksgiving for the gift of Your Son, Jesus, and all that it means. God, we thank You that that Jesus uh, looked down on earth He saw our brokenness, our failure, our sin, our pain and our suffering. And that he was willing to lay aside the glory that he had at your right hand and and come and take on our flesh and live amongst us and point us to you. To point us to a God who consoles, a God who comforts, a God who provides the way forward. Who helps us leave those things in the past and discover our new identity in Christ. God, I pray especially for those here this morning who may be struggling with some deep things. God, I pray that they would know the comfort of your presence, that they would know and be confident that that you are a Savior who understands, a Savior who promises that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us. God, we thank you that for once and all you said, I am a God who is with you. We pray this in Christ's name.